Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. It was like a very civic-oriented Weird Al parody of Carly Rae Jepsen. <laughs> I don't know what you said. This is crazy. <laughs> Call me baby. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to sing it. Just talking it. But I, I think the bones of an idea are there. We can pull that. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Coco. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice San Diego, and I'm joined as always by managing editor Andrew Keats. What's up, Andy? Scott, how you doing, man? I'm well, thank you. And fellow managing editor Andrea Lopez Viafania. What is up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. Coming up on the show this week, a special election has been called to replace Supervisor Nathan Fletcher on the County Board of Supervisors, although he has not actually officially resigned. So the vacancy will be filled by a special election. However, there's no vacancy yet. Yes. Once once the vacancy exists, so too will a special election to fill it. So will it be a silly summer? We we almost went uh, seven months without an election. Yeah. But now we're going to get right back at it. I feel like this is about our average. Right. You just got to do something you every do summer. Something. It's like they, they summer starts to approach and they're like, there's nothing crazy. <laughs> Better get something going. Finally, Andrea is going to sit down with our education reporter, Jacob McWinney, to review a big shakeup that he reported about that's occurring at the San Diego Unified School District. That's all coming up. Stay with us. But first, we're hosting our next live podcast, the first time back at Whistle Stop Bar, May 10th. It will be a great show. It's sold out. But, you know, keep clicking the button to see if something comes up. We're so excited to see all of you at Whistle Stop. It's been too long. We have one special guest for now, National City Council member Marcus Bush, who's also on the board of directors of the Metropolitan Transit System, which is going through some stuff. We've got might, some things going on. Might be able to talk to him about some things. Some, National City also passing some legislation these days. Yeah. We'll be hanging out after the show with our community and other journalists from the newsroom here we're excited to see you. It's uh, It's been the live pod headquarters before. Should be a lot of fun. See you there. Before we get into our local public affairs cheese may, 
We have a lot to talk about with regard to an international situation that may have significant impacts on San Diego. And that is, of course, the federal government's looming expiration of the order that it put in place under Title 42. And that is the um, provision that says that the government can do things, major things, act in emergencies to protect the country from things like communicable diseases. President Trump used it to make an order that says that if you come to this country asking for asylum, the Border Patrol can send you back to the country that you came from or to the last country you were in, which is usually Mexico, and not process your asylum claim right then. And that had the impact of hundreds of thousands, not millions of people sent back. Often they would try again and again and again and keep getting sent back. And now that order is expiring as well as another, you know, expiration or sort of uh, uh, court action that got rid of the uh, Biden administration's approach, which was to process people faster and let them get to their sponsors and their families quicker so that they wouldn't stay in border cities too long. That is also not in effect. And so the long and short is that there might be thousands and tens of thousands of people who are able to plea for asylum in this country and then have no place to go except in the border cities like San Diego. And the county of San Diego was supposed to be preparing for this Uh, there's a lot of money in the federal government that still hasn't come out to help with the shelter situation that might be caused, but this could get uh, big. And you highlighted it in the morning report yesterday. Uh, It's kind of sad too. Yeah, so we wanted to check in on like, what's the plan? This is happening uh, next week. And we wanted to know like what they were doing. Um, I believe back in February, uh, the Board of Supervisors directed Chief Administrative Officer Helen Robbins-Meyer uh, to prepare you know, some of their response for what they were going to do because um, having migrants show up in San Diego County without a place to go, not enough shelter, means you're only adding to, this, to the county's growing homeless population. Um, so they came back in March with some plan that they would have a plan. We love those. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did say that they were going to, um, you know, get, get in touch with stakeholders and also, uh, make pleas to Congress to, you know, make some moves that would help San Diego. Um, but that was the last that we've heard. And when we checked in, they said a plan would be coming soon, but we don't know what's in it yet. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a week, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> okay. But expect to get one soon. I mean, so in the past, it is, we've seen a uh, surge of migrants in at the border mm-hmm. can translate to crowding in our already crowded homeless shelters. Yeah. Um, Le- I mean, Lisa reported um, on how migrants were ending up at city shelters and what that was like for providers because you're dealing with a population who like needs different resources and can't be entered into the typical services that homeless people can be entered into. I mean, they don't even have social security numbers. Um, So it's creating quite a chaos then. And um, we'll see what happens now, I guess. I think there's a misconception that there's uh, this surge of migrants hitting the border and they're just flooding across the, the holes in the border and such. And they're just coming into these cities there's certainly people who evade the border patrol and the and the walls and such but what we're talking about here overwhelmingly are thousands of people 
who are in some cases literally waiting in line right now. Yeah. And they are presenting to officials on this side of the border. They're not running away or, or, or overpowering guards or you know surging past uh, these, these little holes in the wall or something like that. What they're doing is saying, I am asking for asylum because we know you have a law that says that if people ask for asylum, then you need to help them figure out if they qualify. And in, in what that often means is that they can come into the country, go to a sponsor's house as they wait for that processing to course occur. So a lot of them do have people they right. can go to. And that was what the Biden administration wanted to do is get them there faster. And now that's curtailed as well. And so I think that there's just this worry that they're going to be they're going to be stuck here. They're not allowed to leave here, and yet there's just no place for them to go. And in El Paso, they already declared a state of emergency because of how many people that might represent. Right. Yeah. And they, and you know th- these might be people who have means to uh, to not end up in homeless shelters, but in the s- specific circumstance they're in here, end up in a homeless shelter, even if it's only temporarily. Um, with just just by lack of a place to go in the in the short term, I think there was a, a related comment. So San Diego Mayor Ted, Todd Gloria was asked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we we asked him we about asked this, him. <laughs> <laughs> and he said uh, he sent us this quote quote. Ultimately, the only real solution is for Congress to pass comprehensive immigration reform that constructively addresses this issue and ends this cycle of crises that have a profound impact on American cities. So two things on that. This crisis has spurred a conversation in Congress to uh, deal with this again. Now, they haven't been able to pass comprehensive immigration reform for, what, two, uh, 15 years since they first started, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or first started I this mean, round? Yeah, exa- yeah, exactly, depending how far back you want to go, right? I mean, the, yeah. the dreamer issue. Uh, I know, I'm still here in limbo, <laughs> floating. I'm like, yeah, that, that's really what they got to do. Yeah. <laughs> They're quick on that. <laughs> yeah. Do you agree? You should do that? <laughs> totally. I mean, look at me. Yeah. When you say that the thing that needs to happen to solve this is one of the most difficult pieces of legislation that this country has ever tried to pass, that both sides say needs to pass and still can't get done, and that that's that's what needs to happen here when we're facing an acute crisis right now? Yeah. That's just a classic Maritag Gloria moment, right? Yeah. Where it's like the same thing that always happens with the homeless discussion. Well, the real challenge and the real solution to homelessness is housing. None of this is going to get better until we build housing that is that is going to, you know, lower housing costs and make it possible for people to find housing. Well, that's what, eight years, 10 years, 20 years in the making? Like, what are, what are we hoping for there? And does that mean we're just cool until then? Yeah, I mean, it's... And then the, the, this, this, so there's nothing we can do about this acute emergency that's coming next week unless they, they pass uh, or win until they pass comprehensive immigration reform? Yeah, it's classic question begging in the actual definition of what begging the question is. Yeah. You know, the, people often use that to mean like raising a question or yeah. makes me a, makes a provoking. question occur to me provoking a question begging a question means your argument 
ignores the question. And so it just circles back to the question itself again, which is here. Hey, so what are we going to do about this looming crisis that's going to crowd people out of the shelters next week? Well, the people in Congress need to pass the most complex legislation that they've failed to pass for the last 15 plus years. Well, okay. But to that, I have to, I can only say, what are we going to do next week? Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we still don't have a good answer to that. Yeah. I got to say, we, you know, we followed up with the county on what they were doing uh, because I saw that they had told NBC7 something very similar to what Todd Gloria was saying. Um, but here's what uh, NBC7 had was a San Diego County spokesperson told NBC7 that the situation at the border It is the responsibility of the state and federal governments, but the county is prepared to help if asked. (laughs) I think that's, yeah, that's it, right? That's the, what we have as far as local leadership on situations like this is, is sort of CYA PR, right? It's just like, this is, you know, it's not our fault. Yeah. Which to be clear is true. Yeah. We're not saying it's true. We're not saying you caused a a migrant crisis county or city. Nobody's saying that. Nobody's saying it's your fault. But we do have to do like it's it's like if like it started to to, like rain so much and the water started coming into my home. And they'd be like, me and my wife were like, what should we do? She's like, I climate change okay no but in the meantime like should we get some sandbags or what like what do we do you know we got to address (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) i don't know i mean like why even have like immigration affair offices or whatever they're called um like city city people hired to deal with like sure but yeah if not to to address these issues when they come up or to at least be able to say we recognize that this is a problem created by federal governments in action. And here's what we're going to do in the immediate term when we're dealing with a problem that we didn't create. Right. I think that's get that gets as we go even one step above is this whole question of like leadership. It drives me nuts when people are like, well, this city needs to get better at leadership, right? But when we what we're actually talking about is like this sort of constant need and vacuum of people willing or wanting to say how things should come out, yeah. right? Where is where? What should happen with the city hall redevelopment, you yeah. know, or the the civic center vision? What should happen with the sports arena? What should happen with this crisis? What should happen with all of these moments that come up where it's just you would love to see somebody putting out a vision that could be debated and modified and and but otherwise help people understand what is going to happen that they can feel like you know there's leadership behind and that there's there is a plan or there the workings of a plan to deal with some of these moments and and it just feels like every time we get to that they're like why is it my problem yeah, yeah. to do that that's not it's not my fault yeah there, like, yeah there seems to be a lot of like labor going into looking at us and being like why do you all expect us to solve the problems? Yeah. You know? And when I say us, I don't mean us. I mean, like, the people in the city who look to leaders for answers. Seems to to be, like, a lot of work going into calling us jerks for having those expectations. Yeah. It seemed like for a brief moment, 
there was a possibility that the county board of supervisors would decide to appoint somebody to replace Nathan Fletcher as the representative of the 4th district on the county board of supervisors. Now the 4th district, let's just do something real quick. The 4th district used to be most of the city of San Diego. Like uh, the five county supervisors, of course, cover the whole county, not just the city of San Diego. And the fourth district was most of the city of San Diego. Now, the fourth district is a lot of the city of San Diego, but it's also like La Mesa. It goes down a little bit south of La Mesa, and it doesn't include the coast. Uh, the coast now is uh, is part of Terra Los and Reamer's district, and that goes all the way down to Coronado, not just uh, not just like the Escondido sort of north coastal. Uh, band that was there before so the fourth district even like like i made a mistake in the politics report like months ago that raul campillo his his uh where he lives in in like mission valley area where his yes a lot some of mission valley falls in the fourth district but where he lives doesn't okay so it, i mean it really comes into you know the heart of the city right so the question is uh well the question was what was going to happen um the let me say this, like Nathan Fletcher is still the county supervisor representing the 4th District in the county of San Diego. Now, he has said in a statement, and then he since disappeared, literally disappeared. Well, not. <laughs> he exists in his. Well, I, I got to honestly, I got to take it back. We don't know. He might have literally disappeared. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know. He's disappeared from public discourse. <laughs> yes, yes. He yes. is no longer in the public eye right now, right? He right. has nobody's even seen him like with sunglasses, like grabbing stuff out of the office or something. Like, right? He's he is he has disappeared from the public view. Now he said he would leave on May fifteenth, and everybody's assuming that's true. Others demanded that he would leave earlier, and he paid no heed to them. He went, okay. Yeah. Thanks for your <laughs> registering your opinion, yeah. but I'm. Which the ease with which that was ignored has got to make him think like, well, what else could I ignore? Right. So, you know, so let's deal with that for a second. He has not left. No. What do we think the possibilities are that he changes his mind? It's got to be, I would uh, say it's 1%. Yeah. Like uh, it's it's not none. It would be hasty to call it 0%. It's not none percent. Yeah. What do you say? Yeah, I agree. Like there's there is a there you could see a world where he's like, "Boy, I, you know, I feel great. I I went through a lot. I shouldn't have I was I was traumatized and and under the influence when I said that I would resign. I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not sure that's the case right now. I, I mean, I want to be clear. Like, I think he's going to leave. He's going to leave. Probably. But to conclude, to to stake my reputation, to write it as a statement of fact, I, I mean, I can't do that. Yeah, we got to wait 11 days. There's always possibilities. Sure. Anything. Yeah, they said, like, they called a, a special election. This yeah. was on, on NBC. They said it was called a special election to uh, fill the vacancy. No vacancy yet. <laughs> no. So the question was, would he be replaced by a special election, an appointee, or a short-term appointee until there was this special election. 
And for a while, it felt like the the labor groups were like, boy, we would love to not spend all this money on an election. Yeah. How about you go with our guy? Right. And there was a few other like surges like that. A, a very pronounced one from Alliance coming out and saying like, there will be a special election. Yeah. Alliance San Diego said you, you cannot appoint somebody for almost three years or three years yeah. to take over this role. Like that's too much time to take away the democratic preference Mm -hmm. right so uh you could see nora vargas flirting with that right she wants she wanted to get an appointment in it looked like tara lawson reamer wanted an appointment um but then they they, over time they realized they couldn't find another vote right seems that way yeah i mean it, it I mean, most of it didn't play out in public. There's rumors about who was the person who was closest. There were uh, of you know varying levels of certainty that once one definitely would happen, or that there was a, a mysterious candidate who was going to emerge at the final hour. In the end, none of that stuff happened, and at least what happened in public view didn't come close to happening. It's yeah. not. It's not like there was a name on the table and they were like no. jockeying for votes in public. That that didn't occur. Right. So they decided on a special election. It seemed like they became clear once they couldn't do an appointment. Everybody's vote switched to a special election. Unanimously decided for nothing to go to a special election. The primary will be August 15th. If they can't get more than 50, if a candidate cannot get more than 50% of the vote, then it will go to a runoff in November. And that person will serve the rest of the term right after that. Nice. So uh, November election day. Right. It's just, you know, it's like, Baseball in spring. It's just what... It's what we do. It's what we do. (laughs) Yeah. It's what we do. So there are three, right, announced major candidates for the seat. Mm -hmm. Janessa Goldbeck, she's the Marine veteran who runs a veteran's sort of political action group. LGBTQ advocate, activist. She's generated a lot of impressive endorsements. Uh, Tony Atkins among them. Um, Certainly, you know, she had announced that she was going to seek the seat even back before Nathan Fletcher's uh, life crumbled around him um, because he was going to be running for assembly. And so there was Senate. a, excuse me, there was a, she, he was going to be running for Senate and there was a you know projected vacancy. So she's been gearing up for a run for this seat for a while and it's just happening much, much sooner than anyone expected. And another Democrat emerged last week, Monica Montgomery Stepp, the city councilwoman who represents district four on the San Diego city council which remains in this supervisorial district, she announced and said, I think I can have more influence and success and impact from the Board of Supervisors. I'd like to make that leap. Yep. And uh, so that happened. And then uh, from the right, Republican Amy Reichert uh, is a declared candidate. She ran against Nathan Fletcher for the seat. He ended up getting two-thirds of the vote. Yeah. But, uh, you know, she obviously feels like there's an, an opening now. She started as as a, a sort of anti-COVID restrictions activist. She uh, uh, ran Reopen San Diego, which pushed, pushed for the end of the restrictions on businesses and such, and also opening schools. Mm-hmm. She kind of... Once em- those things did open, it became a anti-vaccine uh, mandates for county staff activists right she's been evolving into a more mainstream republican they're trying to i mean it'll be in in november to be like running primarily about like you don't have to wear masks in public would be uh 
Yeah. yeah. A pretty, pretty narrow topic area considering very rare that you see masks yes so we'll yeah. see um how how that ends up um coming together now you might write off somebody like that because of the dynamics of the district are so tilted toward democrats but these special elections historically do not drive tremendous turnout and so depending on who you're able to mobilize different things can happen right yeah exactly it's just the when voter turnout goes down variance of the results goes up um which, you know, would be true for any other candidate that jumps in as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you could have um, some, you know, uh, long shot wild card candidates that we, ha- we haven't heard of yet. I think they have almost a month to, to uh, declare. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have three notable known candidates right now, um, but that number could grow. And in, in, in the past, that has been the, the, what happens with special elections, the, the, the abbreviated time frame seems to increase the chances that somebody will, you know, jump in the fray and give it a go. Right. Also, if you're already elected, you don't have to give up your seat to run. Right. And so the real question is, does another couple of people get in and how prominent are they, especially if they're Democrats? If the Democrats end up splitting the vote too much, then you could see Amy Reichardt getting into the the runoff election um, because just by way of math, right, the, it, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> That's funny. Just, Just by way of math. <laughs> on, on account of the way numbers conspire that was good. among each Sorry. other. Um, well, but, you could also, I mean, in the past, we've seen, you know, certain Democrats who think they have an advantage in a runoff against a Republican run campaigns on behalf of that Republican right. in the primary yeah. as well to put themselves in an advantageous position. If they do get through, you could see that here. Um, there are, you know, the 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 two other elected officials whose names are still, you know, going to be discussed until they make an announcement one way or another. Uh, one is Stephen Whitburn, um, San Diego City Councilman. I mean, it's worth saying that the part of the expectation that city council members who uh, whose district overlaps with this one, part of the reason there's so much speculation around them jumping into the race, is among political people county supervisor it's just seen as a much much better job than city councilman you make more money for Mm -hmm. one uh you control a much larger budget for two and the expectations on like constituent services is way less yeah and until the pandemic there was far less attention on what they were doing and far less controversy What 80% of the difficult decisions that the city of San Diego makes, that the city council makes, uh, uh, revolve around what to build where, right? Land use controversies. Yeah, or or like local roads and infrastructure controversies. Right, and and the county does have land use purview over the areas that aren't cities, but most of the, the issues that the county deals with and let's talk about this next issue that's coming up because of that most of the issues that the county's county deals with are these sort of soft spending issues right the question of uh welfare benefits of food assistance of mental health uh, and the county is required to provide medical services to people who can't afford them in many counties that's usually a, a county hospital but in this in this county, they've they've for decades contracted out that responsibility to local uh, hospitals. So basically, the county is a relic of the old 
state, right? The, the, the state was this a giant state and the state of California needed an outlet in this part of the state and the county was the county, uh, was the administrator of the state's benefits and services here. And so the, the county is, for a long time, was seen as a, as a, a less controversial place to serve. Now, county board meetings right now are just frothing nightmares of anger and expressed violence and just just difficult uh it's like a toxic toxic work environment yes for anyone who has to sit up there i think yeah it's like a really bad open mic night where each successive comic thinks that the only way to to beat the trend is to get more Crazy. outrageous. Yeah. yeah. So the so yes, it is a quote promotion from the city council or has been seen that way. So yeah, but among it, elected officials and the political professionals that work with them, there's like no no question that it's seen as a promotion. But a lot of people found out what the county does when the county exercised its other power, which is to control virus and the spread of viruses. And suddenly became the point entity on COVID. And Nathan Fletcher himself became the face of that at the county. And so now a lot of people care about the county, including Amy Riker, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who's running for that seat. Now, also this week, the county administration released a proposed $8.1 billion budget for the spending for the next fiscal year that begins in July takes on mental health, substance use disorders, improved justice system, uh, you know, processing and all kinds of things. Now, they will have to pass that budget with a two to two um, county supervisor makeup, right? Two Democrats, two Republicans. With three Democrats and two Republicans, those three people just needed to come to an agreement to make something happen. Now, now both the Republicans have far more say in how this can go, and I imagine they'll leverage that to maybe change things. Uh, yeah, I mean, like it's not that big of a it's, leap. It's not that big of a leap. I mean, if you if you look back at like we used to talk about this all the time at the San Diego City Council when the Republicans were in the minority, and no matter how small their minority got, it's still they they were still able to essentially dictate decision-making from that minority um, because they were able to stay consolidated and pick off one or two Democrats to come along with them by offering Democrats what they wanted. So, you know, in a 2-2 situation, all you really need is one of them to decide, hey, here's my priority. Let's let's transact. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's, let's make a deal here. I want this. And in, if you give it to me, I'll give you the rest of the stuff that you want, you know, and I, I don't, you know, I, I just don't know well enough what Joel Anderson or Jim Desmond would be looking to achieve as a spending change or spending priority. Yeah. It's um, not going to be a ball field in Hamul. It might be a bigger, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, change to the priorities that the county staff has. I think it'd right. be so cool to watch. I mean, this sounds like really boring, but like, I feel like a production of like, Let's make some deals, in you the, know. Dun, dun, dun. In the room like. that it happened. <laughs> no. Sorry. <laughs> My Carly Wright Jepsen was better. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, long and short of it is, Republicans have a lot of leverage now. Yeah. And it would you would expect that there would be some change in whatever the budget proposal is 
based on that leverage. And back when this budget was being put together, Nathan had his priorities in it. Well, yeah, I mean, so Nor Vargas is the chair. Um, but all, I mean, all the other thing that we have here is the difference between the city and the county as represented by the county administration puts out this budget, not the, you know, the board of supervisors, because they have a chief administrative officer who is the person who uh, makes these decisions, who's, you know, sort of like the city manager in the old San Diego City yeah. form of government. Let's just end on this. Okay. Does he does he come back? Does he make a statement? Does he say anything? Does he does he do a podcast interview? Does he do any what what how does he manage this extremely awkward moment? And it'll be really I mean it's just it's not the most important issue, but it feels like you can't just disappear like that and come back and and not just have extreme awkwardness unless you just go lean right into it, I guess. I mean, it would just be telling i guess of like his character maybe depending on what he does like he could go up there and say you know well i guess he wouldn't want to admit to anything but right <laughs> i don't know it would be tricky right because like if you did do something bad you would go up there and admit to your wrongdoing yeah, and he, apologize but you yeah, can't really do that yeah well because of the lawsuit so i don't see that happening Right. Yeah, his entire wealth or what there is of it is is on the line right now. You can't really say something that you did wrong, yeah. but you also can't move past it unless you like yeah. give something. And I mean hanging over all of this is the, you know, the way this came out those those 3 days before the, you know, his his first statement on that Sunday night. Yeah. Um which you know, the more I think about it, I think the right way to describe that statement would be like a lie. I think it was a. I think it was a lie. Highly to the manipulative spin. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I'm not going to pretend that that I could <laughs> write the appropriate response to 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 like make the public feel better about these about the thing you did, and then the way you reacted to the thing you did, and then you know, tie up whatever you've learned about yourself in, in rehab, I, I, all while not increasing your liability with the ongoing civil suit. I, that's a, that's a tricky speech to write. Yeah. You just say thank you to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's it. And maybe, I don't yeah, know. I disappointed some of you, but just talk, talk past the issue. Yeah. Mm. I think that would be the thing. They Imagine wouldn't say his up, name. Just go up and like list your accomplishments. <laughs> just here are the things I'm proud of that we did over the last five years. You know, I could see that happening. Yeah. Did you notice that they, uh, some people really avoided saying his name during the meeting? Oh, really? Like they kind of stopped and they'd be like, the, the supervisor. <laughs> I thought, uh, I, you know, there, there was this uh, discussion about whether the county should spend more money on, you know, voter outreach because mm -hmm. voter turnout is so low. Tara Lawson Reamer was... She was talking to Michael Vu about spending more money you know, mm -hmm. on voter outreach. And his response was basically like, well, we already have a budget for that. Mm -hmm. And there's already a prescribed you know, set of notifications that we do. That, you know, this is a this is a determined process. Right. And uh, her argument seems to be, well, you know, with a, a voter turnout as low as it often is in these special elections, um, th the selection in that environment won't be any more democratic than appointing somebody would be, or, you know, it might not be a far cry from that. 
Uh, and Jim Desmond just came in and was like, well, look, listen, like we didn't ask to be put in this situation. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you know, it's an imperfect situation, but none of us put ourselves here. And I, I, I thought that was an interesting way to put mm-hmm. it. It was like, yeah, it's bad. We're, we're dealing with bad choices here. Yeah. You know, yeah. we're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Join culture creator Remel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. So last month, we had a story about some changes that were happening at San Diego Unified School District, some staffing changes. Our education reporter, Jacob McWinney, reported on it, and now he has a follow-up story on some of those changes. Hey, Jacob. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm feeling great. Good, good. So tell us, let's go back a little bit to your April story. Um, This change kind of went under the radar, and you picked up on it from a school board meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, there was a motion to pass this contract that the district had gotten into with the San Diego County of Education to recruit new hires for these positions, uh, some area superintendent positions, but also heads of human resources and I believe special education. Mm-hmm. Um, now, at the at currently, there is no head of human resources and special education at the district. So that wasn't a surprise. But the big surprise was the area superintendents, because all of those positions currently are filled. So what that meant was that um, all of those current area superintendents were getting vacated. Uh Um, And, you know, the district has telegraphed its plans to do a big reorganization, but exactly what those consisted of weren't entirely clear. I've gone back through the board meetings. I can't find any mention of explicitly, yeah, hey, we're going to get rid of these area superintendents. I I haven't seen that at all. The district hasn't been able to provide it to me. Maybe it exists, but currently it is not my position. But that was the first meeting that you became aware of Mm -hmm. it. But what is an area superintendent in the first place? (laughs) That's a good good question. Yeah. So area superintendents, they essentially oversee various clusters. Now, a cluster is essentially a high school and all of the schools that feed into that high school. Okay. Um, Currently, there is already 
um, a specific person who's in charge of of the of the high schools, mm-hmm. and um, so those clusters that area superintendents are in charge of are just the elementary schools and the middle schools. But with this reorganization, they're also shaving off the middle schools, and there's going to be a separate person who's in charge of those. Mm-hmm. So those clusters have been whittled down to just elementary schools, uh, and area superintendents they kind of oversee. Um, all of the schools make sure that they are are um, functioning well. They're supposed to hopefully interact with parents um, and interact with stakeholders um, and, and be kind of the person who makes sure that the superintendent's uh, goals are getting accomplished in these in these different clusters. Mm-hmm. And so what were some of the reasonings for this change? Yeah, um, you know, the district has has long when it comes to this change, they, they essentially have have said that Lamont Jackson, the new superintendent, or I guess he's not that new. He's been in the job about a year um, that he needed to make sure that he had a team that he could trust. Uh, mm-hmm. That's th- that were running all of these these uh, areas and these clusters. Um, th- they said essentially, you know, when every superintendent comes in, there are inevitably administrative shakeups. Uh, it happened a little later for Lamont because the COVID pandemic was still kind of raging. Yeah, sort he, of a big thing. Sort of, yeah. To like walk in in a new job. Yeah, just, you know, a <laughs> little, little big thing. Uh-huh. Somebody left the window open yeah. and a couple no books big. got wet. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so they said that, you know, the pandemic had delayed the sort of implementation of new administrative shakeups. Mm-hmm. And this... Um, this change up what was just an effort to ensure that he had a team in place that mm-hmm. that he um, really valued and that he felt could could do the jobs. And as part of that sort of reorganization, there were also some um, uh, changes to the job descriptions of area superintendents. Like I mentioned, the middle schools were taken out of the purview of area superintendents. And in addition to that, there were some other things that, I mean, for me, a lot of the changes looked a little more aesthetic than functional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there was now in addition to doing X, Y, and Z, you're also coaching and coaching was added to a couple things. I, I, I tried to, you know, request information about exactly in what functional ways these jobs will change. Uh-huh. And really the only thing the district pointed me to was the middle school aspect of this. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, those were kind of the two main, main things, yeah. main reasons for this, the, the kind of shake up here. Yeah, but this this week you had a story about people who, when they found out that this was happening, <laughs> uh, did not think that it was just small changes. They were pretty shook up. Yeah, I, and I mean it's not a small change. Mm-hmm. Th- these these uh, these administrators play a big role in the functioning of the district, and there were a couple different um, kind of reactions to this to this move. Uh, I spoke to uh, Jenny Cornellison, who is the chair of Scripps Ranch, uh, kind of com- uh, what is it? Scripps Ranch School Committee, mm-hmm. uh, and she was shocked. Uh, she found out actually at a cluster meeting, somebody happened to thank um, uh, Area Superintendent Monica Hazel there for her service and mentioned that they were sad to see her go. And Jenny was like, wait, 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 what? What, mm-hmm. like, what is happening? And she's the chair of, a, of the school committee, of the cluster essentially committee. Right. And so for this to fly under the radar for even her is, is pretty shocking. And, and, it, and it came... Not only as a surprise, but something that that really worried her because uh, she had a very very good relationship with with Hazel, um, who oversaw Scripps Ranch and a couple other clusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hazel had been to many of their meetings. She said that their relationship was respectful and collaborative and productive. Um, and and so seeing this this move happen really really worried her. 
Um, there were other folks who <laughs> had a bit of a different take. Um, <laughs> Roosevelt Blackman, who who heads the um, uh, the Lincoln Community uh, Council, I believe it's called. Uh, it, they've actually separated from the district. They're no longer affiliated really with the district, um, but they still meet regularly to, you know, try to advocate for changes at the school they feel mm-hmm. they need. It's Lincoln High School. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lincoln High Schools. Um, they There had been um, <laughs> tensions, I guess is the best way to put it, between yeah. area superintendent Bruce Bivens, who oversaw Lincoln, and a couple other uh, schools and clusters in the area. And so he, he was not in favor of Bivens returning in the same way that, that Cornelison was in favor of, of Monica returning. Um, and he also wasn't really surprised by this move. T- yeah. To him, you know, this is just another in, in a long line of what he views as the district's uh, either inability or unwillingness to c- communicate their moves in a way that, that brings, uh, builds trust with the community. Mm-hmm. So what did you learn about these area superintendents that whose positions were vacated, <laughs> received pink slips? Yeah. What's going to happen? Are they going to reapply? Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, one of these area superintendents, Aaron, Aaron Richardson, she is being made head of the office of graduation, which is going to oversee all of the high schools. And it's going to take, take that position from what was an area superintendent position to one that oversees high schools. Um, but of the the other five area superintendents, four communicated with me that they will be reapplying. Um, all, all four or five, aside from Monica Hazel, who, if, if you'll remember, was the uh, area superintendent of the Scripps Ranch Cluster and who, and who um, you know, schools committee, Scripps Ranch schools committee members really desperately want to reapply because mm-hmm. they said they'd ha- they've had a great relationship with her. Um, so that that was an interesting interesting thing, um, but it, it remains to be seen exactly what the district is going to do if they will decide to to rehire some of these folks or if they're just going to bring a whole new slate of folks in. Right. Yeah. Use it like as an opportunity, like what they said, right? With any sort of new management, uh, new superintendent, they're going to want to have you know changes to the people mm-hmm. to the staff yeah. that they have the direction that they're going with yeah um so yeah it makes sense but um so lamont jackson um he became superintendent last year you said mm-hmm. what's his first year been like you spent some time with him just kind of watching him um yeah. as he uh visited a school recently what was that like um it it, it was good you know lamont I, I, he's a he's an interesting guy he is a san diego uh unified product mm-hmm. uh I mean, he went to San Diego Unified Schools. He's been working at the district for many, many years. Uh, he was himself a former area superintendent. Um, and, and so he he is absolutely familiar with the district. He knows everybody there. You know, when we went to, um, we visited uh, Spreckles Elementary, uh, he <laughs> as he walked around the the school it's it's like he's just floating on this cloud fist bumping people high-fiving <laughs> kids walking over to people and, and and teachers and giving them a hug and you know at one point he turned to me he was like you know this teacher's husband was my was my coach in high school oh, so there is this long history but but i think it remains to be seen exactly how many of his goals he, he'll be able to accomplish mm-hmm. you know he speaks in a lot more abstract concepts like love and and um, Ubuntu and belonging and all of these things, but but it can often be difficult to again translate these more abstract concepts into 
measurable change for children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting. I mean, I think a move like this is an indication that he is trying to find ways to put a stamp on the district. Uh, and despite the fact that all of the board members that I've spoken to trust that that uh, Lamont is is going to figure things out and is going to put the district on a, on a better path forward after these changes, um, others have expressed to me that they really hope that some of these area superintendents are brought back. Uh, in my, my last piece, um, board member Cody Pedersen, uh, said, you know, he he is encouraging and really hoping that there are going to be some people who are brought back because replacing all of these superintendents and bringing in new people could be a destabilizing experience for the district, which isn't which isn't hard to to understand why he'd think that. Right, and just recovering from the pandemic yeah. too, it's like a big change. Lots um, of big changes. Well, I know you'll be following this story, Jacob, but I want to see: are there any other stories that you're kind of interested in or looking out for in San Diego Unified? Yeah, um, San Diego Unified for sure. I mean, there there are always interesting stories at San Diego Unified. The, the district is itself, you know, has the the student population of what would be a, a decently sized city in many in many states. <laughs> um, and so there are a couple things I'm thinking about. Um, one, you know, we've seen a lot a lot of motion to to unionize charter schools in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently looking into into Gompers, which is kind of potentially going to be doing the opposite of that. There's been a long uh, back and forth between uh, the the union there and uh, teachers and some community members who say that they don't they don't want it. Um, and, and you know the school unionized after becoming a charter after being a public school that had the union. Mm-hmm. And so there's a long history of this back and forth and it's really I think it's interesting um, and, a, and, a, and a really interesting look at, at the way that places change, the mm-hmm. way that you know, the people there, what they want changes. Um, you know, another thing that that I've been trying to, my hardest to get to for a while that I'm really excited to start to start working on is about reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you have any, any thoughts, any experience with reading curriculum at San Diego Unified, please do not hesitate to get in touch. Uh, you can email me at jakob at vosd.org. Um, and I'll get right back to you. You know, we, we, we are currently in a moment where the science of reading uh, and phonics, it's, it's really in vogue in a way that, that it hadn't been in a long time. Mm-hmm. There has long been this back and forth between uh, people who really support research-based methods like the science of reading and, and a, a more whole reading approach. Um, and so I, I think it's a it's a really good time to start to look at into not only how the district is currently approaching reading, but how it has in the past and what that what effect that's had on our current moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely reach out to Jacob if you have any uh, reading cu- reading curriculum stories for him. I and won't you, bite. <laughs> and you can follow his work and sign up for his education newsletter at vosd.org slash Jacob. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. You can now watch full segments and highlights from the show on YouTube. You can find those videos in the Voice of San Diego YouTube page and some tidbits on our Instagram. Scott Lewis is our CEO and editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego. Andrew Keats is managing editor. Andrea Lopez Villafania is also managing editor. I'm Nate John, producer for the show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.